Welcome to the Bone Coach Show, dedicated to helping you understand all things related to diet, lifestyle, bone health, and how you can live and thrive with low bone density and osteoporosis. I'm your host, Kevin Ellis, certified health coach, health and wellness speaker, and above all else, your bone coach. After being diagnosed with osteoporosis in my early 30s, I transformed my health through diet and lifestyle and now help my clients and community members do the same through my online coaching practice, Bone Coach. Look, there are no quick and easy cures for low bone density, but the choices we make every single day can have a powerful impact on our bones, our health, and our general well-being. I'll share the research, interview the experts, and help you figure out how to get the conditions right in your body so you can better your bones through diet and lifestyle. Short disclaimer, I'm not a medical doctor, and this show should not be considered medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare team before making medical decisions and changes to your diet and lifestyle. With that being said, let's get on with the show. You know, some people, they're stress eaters, they're emotional eaters, but other people, they get stressed, can't eat, stomach gets really cramped and tight. That's a sign that your vagal tone has dropped. And as soon as that vagus nerve, which is the, the leader of your parasympathetic nervous system controlling all of your internal organs, when that vagal nerve, when that vagal tone drops, which is kind of like the, the baseline nerve impulse from that vagus nerve, the next thing that happens is gut permeability increases. If you haven't done so already, especially if you're newly diagnosed with osteopenia or osteoporosis, or if your most recent bone density scan still showed more bone loss, go ahead and pause this episode and head over to bonecoach.com to sign up for your free seven day osteoporosis kickstart guide that's going to give you everything you need step by step by step over the next seven days to get on the path to improvement and stronger bones you won't want to miss that so pause this right now head over to bonecoach.com and i'll be here as soon as you get back welcome welcome to this episode of the bone coach show joining us today to explore gut health and its connection to your bones and general well-being is dr vincent pedre dr vincent pedre is the medical director of pedre integrative health and founder of Dr. Pedre Wellness, CEO, founder of Happy Gut Life LLC, has worked as a nutraceutical consultant and spokesperson for Nature MD, and is a functional medicine certified practitioner with a concierge practice in New York City since 2004. He believes the gut is the gateway to excellent wellness. His newest book, The Gut Smart Protocol, featuring a 14-day personalized gut healing plan based on the Gut Smart Quiz is the culmination of years of research and clinical experience as a functional gut health expert. Dr. Pedro, it is great to have you here. Great to see you again. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. I am too. And I want to make sure um, you've just put out, we just touched on it in your bio, but you've just put out this amazing book, the, uh, the Gut Smart Protocol. I want to make sure we talk about this and get to this. Uh, but before we do that, maybe maybe we could start out with you know, you are a leader in this field of gut health. How did you even develop a passion for gut health and and what led you on this path to becoming a leader in the field? Man, uh, it's kind of one of those accidental journeys that was under my nose the whole time, but it really wasn't the way I thought my life was going to go. I mean, I, I knew I wanted to become a doctor ever since I was, I mean, my earliest memory was actually sitting at a doctor's office with my mom. And mind you, so I'm seven years old, sitting at the doctor's office, scared, can I say shitless, scared shitless, because I really hated the doctor, um, like any seven-year-old boy might hate the doctor. 
And even with that fear that I had and how much I hated going to see the doctor, I turned up to my mom and I looked at her and I said, I'm going to be a doctor when I grow up. And I remember that day and I have no idea what was it that inspired me. My dad wasn't a doctor. My grandfather was a doctor, but I never met him because he never left Cuba. So he was stuck on the other side. And so I never really got to, to know him. So there was, there was no model in my family. No one else is a doctor. And it's almost like there was this inner knowing. So I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I loved science. I was always good in science and math. But what I didn't know that I would actually then become a gut health expert. And yet it was the bane of my existence as a child, stomach aches, constipation, abdominal pain. Uh, I mean, I, I just remember probably the, the, the most common remedies my mom used had to do with my tummy. And, and then get into my teenage years and I started, you know, you go to the pediatrician with an infection, they give you an antibiotic. I go back to the pediatrician with another infection later on in the same year, another antibiotic. So over and over and over, and actually a little bit scary to think this because back, this is the eighties, my parents <clears throat> would take me to the clinic. And if I, a lot of times I wouldn't even respond to the antibiotic and they would inject me with what they call gamma globulin shot or pooled globulins, immune globulins from blood donors. And every time I got that gamma globulin shot, I felt better almost within hours, like immediately. And it should have been a clue to the doctors that something was going on with my immune system that I needed other people's immunoglobulins to finally fight off an infection that even the antibiotics weren't helping. And it all had to do with my gut. So I was on 20 plus rounds of antibiotics as a child and it completely messed up my gut. I became sensitive to the top food groups in my diet, which were wheat and dairy. That includes gluten with, with wheat. And I developed food sensitivities to other things. I had mental fog. I had uh, eczema that would break out. I had um, sores that would um, break out in my mouth, lots of fatigue. And I just kind of worked through it, you know, got through college, got through medical school, kept pushing myself. I had this incredible ability to push myself past my own limits. And, and then as a doctor working 100 hour weeks and thinking that I was just tired because I was a student or I was a doctor and, you know, you, you put in so many hours, you're working overnight shifts. Little did I know that the pizza that I was having and the soda and the dairy were all zapping my body of energy because they were just fueling the fire of inflammation in my gut and just keeping me in with a leaky gut and <clears throat> affecting the way my immune system was functioning. And it wasn't until I discovered functional medicine, which was way after I had already was an MD, had done my residency training, that I was able to unravel the story of what had happened to me. And by then I had already decided that <clears throat> I was going to be a holistic integrative doctor. That was my passion. That's what I wanted to do. I had discovered 
yoga, meditation, breath work before medical school back in 1995. If you can think back to that time, it wasn't popular then. It was not mainstream. But for me, I was searching for uh, searching for a number of things, but partly for the solution for the internal angst and the very uh, type A hyperwired person that I was on the inside. And I didn't want to be that anymore. And I discovered breathwork and meditation as the remedy for that. And I started to rewire my brain before I started medical school. And so I knew I was going to be this integrative doctor. I had no idea that I was going to become so passionate about gut health because it was just something kind of that I had learned to live with, you know, and probably there, I'm sure there are people listening that have gut issues that they just have learned to ignore. They don't take you down. You can still get to work. You can still function. You can still parent your children, but sometimes you're running to the bathroom. Sometimes you're bloated. Sometimes your stomach is upset, but you just kind of live with it. And that was me. I was this doctor thinking, I'm not going to take antidepressants. I'm not going to take antispasmodics. I'm not going to take medications for diarrhea. I'm just going to live with it. And But then not understanding and thinking there's got to be something that's going on in the background. And then when I discovered functional medicine and realized, whoa, like I was on 20 plus rounds of antibiotics. It destroyed my gut microbiome. I have leaky gut. I've got dysbiosis. I've got to fix this. And what, wait, this is reversible? I thought this was my life sentence. And 20 plus years in, I find out that this is reversible through natural means by changing my diet, by incorporating probiotics, by eating the right types of foods that are going to rebalance my gut microbiome, taking nutrients to reverse leaky gut. And it just led me down the rabbit hole of curiosity. And I just became really curious about the patients that were coming in with gut health issues. So it wasn't like I was trying to become a gut health expert. I was just really curious. And every time I saw a patient with gut health issues, and it was never just gut health, it was irritable bowel syndrome and allergies or IBS, irritable bowel and migraines or it was eczema. There was always a constellation of things going on in the patients. And I just became a really keen observer and started um, implementing the things I was learning in functional medicine. And then like a kid, you're watching a science experiment and your patients suddenly start getting better through ways that you didn't even learn in medical school. And that caught my attention, you know, not only was I patient zero and, and worked on myself, when you start seeing this stuff work on your patients, and then they come in and they would tell me that a symptom that they never even told me they have improved by healing their gut, or that their allergies are gone, their asthma is gone, that their hives are gone, that their eczema improved, then it, my attention was fixed. And I was like, this is it. This is where I want to focus. And that was the impetus for writing my first book, Happy Gut. And once I made that decision, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to become a gut health expert because this is my story and this is the way I want to help people. 
That's so empowering. And I think it's very relatable other than going on to become a gut health expert and a functional medicine, you know, doctor. Uh, I think there, a lot of that is very relatable for many people. Um, when I, when I see people talk about their gut, oftentimes, you know, I see them, they just point to the area surrounding their navel, but we know it's so much more than just a small area. Can maybe you walk through the totality of the gut? What all is included in it? I mean, you've got to think that the gut starts in your mouth uh, because digestion starts in the mouth and then triggers a whole cascade that then gets stomach acid to be secreted, um, goes down the esophagus as you're chewing your food. Most people don't chew their food well enough. So already the food is arriving in a state that's harder to digest. And then from the stomach to the small intestine, large intestine, until you poop it out, it's going through these chambers that are changing the environment so that the food can be processed in the best way possible to extract the nutrients that are needed in order for us to live and also in order to feed our microbiome as well. Because we are these super organisms that can't live on our own. We require this incredible invisible world inside of us that we call the microbiome, which is also outside. It's on our skin, it's in our mouths, in our airways, vaginal canal. But the biggest, biggest reservoir is inside the digestive system and particularly in the large intestine. So it's this incredibly complex ecosystem that really, when I went to medical school, we looked at the gut as like the least sexy, the least exciting organ system, like you know, the heart, you can think like, wow, it's like pumping blood through your body. The lungs, they're keeping you alive because they're breathing. But then you look at the gut and you're thinking, well, I mean, it creates crap. It smells bad. And, you know, it, you can get an ulcer, you can get like inflammatory bowel disease, but what else, you know, why else is important? We underestimated. And I think they don't teach enough about the importance of the gut in relation to the rest of the body in medical school. Um, may, I think that's changing now, but it, it really was, you know, when actually, when I was in my training at Mount Sinai here in New York, I had the chief of gastroenterology join our team for a week and he was observing us present and, and all that. And at the end of the week, he came up to me and he said, if you ever are interested in becoming a gastroenterologist, reach out to me. And this is Mount Sinai, which is one of the top most prestigious programs in gastroenterology. And I was looking at him and thinking inside of myself, yeah, nah, I'm not going to deal with poop. And look where I am. I'm dealing with poop. Yeah. And, and I mean, you do a great job especially outlining for people how to get a healthier gut and healthier stools and all those things too, um, especially in your most recent work. And I know a lot of people, you know, when they think about their gut health, they, they realize that absorbing their nutrients is important, but what other areas of our health are influenced by our gut health? So many things Our our skin, our brain, our airway, our immune system, our energy, metabolism, and also very importantly, our joints and our bones. And, and maybe we'll let's expand on just the connection to between gut health and bone health, if we can. 
I think that's yeah, it's actually something. It's it's something that we're you know we're learning more and more about uh, recently, and and honestly, the science is still evolving, but understanding the there are certain bacteria in the gut microbiome that influence calcium absorption. And there's certain favorable bacteria like lactobacilli that can help improve calcium absorption, which, as you know, is very important for bone building and bone remodeling. So that's one aspect of it is in a preventive aspect. If your gut is disordered, if you've got dysbiosis, if you have the wrong bacteria in there, you don't have enough of these good bacteria, you're not going to absorb calcium well enough. Then the second aspect of it is, is understanding that bones and joints are an active metabolic tissue that is just as susceptible to inflammation as any other part of the body. And the makeup of the gut microbiome is going to influence inflammation in other parts of the body because the gut is command central for our immune system and the immune system is the control center for inflammation all over the body. But since the gut is command central with 70 to 80% of the immune system all along the gut lining, it's reading what's happening along that gut lining. And that's getting translated into signals that reach the rest of the body. So if your body is filled with inflammatory signals because you have leaky gut, and now you're not absorbing calcium well, maybe you're not breaking down your nutrients properly. And then on top of that, you've got inflammation that's going to affect your, your joints, but it's also going to affect uh, bone formation and the ability to retain strong bones. And this is such, this is such for everybody listening. This is such an important part of all of this. Um, Dr. Pedro is touching on the immune system's connection to your gut health and your bone health. 70% of your immune system in the gut, these cells that are responsible for the immune system are white blood cells. Your cells that break down bone are a form of white blood cells. So anything talking to or stimulating the immune system is speaking the same language as the cells that break down your bones. So yeah. this is such an important piece that I think a lot of people miss. It's, it's not just about, am I absorbing the nutrients? It's is your gut the source of inflammation contributing to bone breakdown in the body too? Yeah, your gut is basically regulating the state of alert of your body. Now, obviously there are other things that could affect the state of alert, like chronic infections, mold exposure, but even mold exposure affects the gut. A chronic infection like Lyme can affect the gut as well. So the gut becomes kind of the, the central player in basically every inflammatory process that's happening in the body. You know, find me, find me a person that has a chronic degenerative disease and I will challenge you to not be able to find leaky gut associated with it. How do you, how do you find leaky gut? How does somebody know if they have a leaky gut? Well, there are certain data points that can, that we can use to figure out if someone has leaky gut. And I kind of use a more of a qualitative measure by having people take the quiz in my book, the gut smart quiz. And the higher your score, the more severe your gut issues are. So I, I divide, you get a score from 25 to 450, but that score is also divided into mild, moderate, or severe categories. 
So the higher your score, the more severe your gut issues are, the more likely you've got leaky gut. If you're severe or moderate, you have leaky gut. There are other ways that you can work with a functional medicine provider to figure out if you've got signs of leaky gut. Some of them are more helpful than others. And they're all kind of like circumstantial evidence. So you can look, for example, for zonulin in a stool test. And zonulin is a molecule. It's a protein that controls gut permeability. So presumptively, if you're detecting high levels of zonulin in the stool, the person has leaky gut, you're assuming they're producing too much zonulin that's going to lead to increased intestinal permeability. Obviously, you're always putting this together with other data points and the story of the person in front of you. And the reason I created my quiz is that I found that after doing so many years of testing, I pretty much knew from the patient's story whether they had leaky gut or not. Now, there are other ways that you can test for it as well. You can look at anti-zonulin antibodies in the blood. You can also look at antibodies to what we call the cytoskeletal proteins. They're like the scaffolding that hold up the cells, but also create the, the interconnections between the cells that we call tight junctions. So you can look at things like anti-actin antibodies, anti-vinculin antibodies. So there are antibodies that can develop to different cytoskeletal structures that tell you that leaky gut might be present. You can also find antibodies to uh, lipopolysaccharide, LPS, and that's actually a protein produced by, or it's a, it's not a protein, it's a lipopolysaccharide. So it's a sugar um, fat molecule that's produced by gram-negative gut bacteria. And if it gets into your system, it's a huge trigger for your immune response and actually becomes the risk factor for obesity, for diabetes, for metabolic disturbances. So you can look at all these things in a blood test there are, there are also leaky gut tests. You can look at a lactulose mannitol urine test ratio. I did that test for a while, found that it wasn't that accurate, that you might get a negative test, but you still have a person that you know has leaky gut. Um, and I think it, it's also only good for detecting leaky gut in the small intestine, not the large intestine. So I find it to be less reliable. I like looking at the, the antibody test or even circumstantial evidence, a person who's reacting to a lot of different foods on a food sensitivity profile also presumptively has leaky gut because you won't develop food sensitivities, IgG reactions, immunoglobulin um, IgG, unless you have leaky gut. So the, the diagnosis for me is based a lot on history. And then I use the data points to confirm what I've seen and also as ways to come to when people are working one-on-one -on -one with me to, to show them because I think data then creates higher compliance. I want to make sure we link to this. We're going to link to this gut smart quiz. I, I think everybody should be taking that as well. So I'm going to link to that in the show notes. Maybe awesome. we can talk about too, um, you know, what, what are the biggest things that you see or find that are contributing to leaky gut? Oh, the huge one, huge one is antibiotics. And antibiotics are either overprescribed. Um, the CDC data says that up to 30 to 40% of, prescri of prescribed antibiotics are unnecessary. The rates are higher for Hispanics and for African-Americans. 
They tend to be prescribed antibiotics more often. And antibiotics are just a huge gut disruptor. They're going to disrupt your good flora as well as whatever bad bugs are in your body. So, you know, for anyone just to contextualize this, I'm not saying I'm anti-antibiotics. I'm anti the overuse of antibiotics. And I'm anti the use of antibiotics without the judicious restoration of the gut. Because every time you put somebody on antibiotic, you're causing a problem and that problem needs to be corrected. Now, go worldwide or just cross the border to Mexico and you can get antibiotics by walking up to the pharmacy and you don't need a prescription. So antibiotics are being overused worldwide and we're seeing antibiotic resistant strains of different bacteria in Southeast Asia and other parts of the world because there's no regulation of who gets an antibiotic. A lot of times people are taking antibiotics for a cold. That's, that's a huge one, but there are actually other reasons that people are developing gut disruption or leaky gut. The second most prescribed medication worldwide is a PPI, proton pump inhibitor. It's used for people who suffer from acid reflux. And you think, well, you know, it fixes the problem. I take the PPI, I feel better, I can eat anything, I can go out, I have a steak with my friends, have, have a drink, have my glass of red wine, and it doesn't bother me anymore. But you've just changed the internal environment of the stomach. And by doing that, you're not just changing the stomach, you're, you're tipping the first domino in the digestive tract that then is going to have a downstream effect on the makeup of the microbiome and other parts of the gut, including increasing your risk for yeast overgrowth. It actually, PPIs increase the risk for community-acquired pneumonia. It increases the risk for C. diff diarrhea, which is a horrible colitis that people can get uh, that can even lead to losing a part of your colon. And it causes all sorts of mineral malabsorption problems. You know, calcium, it can lead to osteoporosis. But from the leaky gut perspective, it's disrupting a very delicate ecosystem that then leads to leaky gut. Other over-the-counter medications that people might take just for pain, for joint aches, for muscle aches, ibuprofen causes leaky gut. Acetaminophen, same thing. Some of them are direct effects, like ibuprofen increases the permeability of the gut, whereas acetaminophen causes a disruption in the gut microbiome. And when you disrupt the gut microbiome, you cause a dysbiosis, then that leads to leaky gut because our gut barrier is actually in this state of homeostasis with the good bacteria that live on the other side of the border. When you lose those good bacteria, you're losing the bacteria that are actually helping to maintain the integrity of that border. So other things that do this that are big gut disruptors, alcohol, processed foods uh, that are full of omega-6 inflammatory oils, those are also going to increase gut permeability um, and sugar because sugar causes dysbiosis. So again, by direct and indirect effects. And the last one, which I think is a you know huge problem, I usually call it the elephant in the room because it's kind of the last thing that people deal with. And the thing that they're not thinking about because they're thinking about, okay, what do I eat? Um, what type of exercise should I do? But they're still stressed out. And stress is like an attack on the gut and stress causes 
an alteration in gut permeability. You know this, if when you've been really stressed and you lose your appetite, you can't eat or food just sits like a rock in your stomach. You know, some people, they're stress eaters, they're emotional eaters, but other people, they get stressed, can't eat, stomach gets really cramped and tight. That's a sign that your vagal tone has dropped. And as soon as that vagus nerve, which is the, the leader of your parasympathetic nervous system controlling all of your internal organs, when that vagal nerve, when that vagal tone drops, which is kind of like the, the baseline nerve impulse from that vagus nerve, the next thing that happens is gut permeability increases. So gut permeability is under the control locally by an intracellular chemical signal called zonulin, but it's also under control globally by impulses from the vagus nerve. So how do we improve vagal tone? Lots of great ways. So many great ways. Uh, cold plunges, even just cold, like ice cold water on the face and the neck. There are cold receptors on the face and neck. I talk about this actually in my book, bunch of ways that you can improve vagal tone because once when you improve vagal tone, you improve digestion, you improved absorption, you put yourself in a state. So basically you're, you're putting your body in a state where you're telling your body that it's safe. And when your body is in a, is feeling safe, then your body can heal itself. The other thing is breath work, meditation, but also breath work with humming, with vibrations, singing, chanting, because the vagus nerve runs right here along the vocal cords. So these are all, you know, we've got, we basically, you have your own resonant like instrument here that is an incredible healing machine. And one of the things it can do is you can activate the vagus nerve with it. You can take really deep diaphragmatic breaths. I teach people how to do deep diaphragmatic breathing in my book. And also actually through the book, there's a QR code that takes you to the website where you can watch a lot of these um, recordings on breathwork and meditations from the book. I, I teamed up with breathwork and meditation teachers um, and even a worldwide Qigong master. And we've got all of that on the website. It's in the book, but it's also on the website because I know some people are are more kinesthetic learners. They need to be walked through. And, and so you do these things and you can reactivate your vagus nerve. And one of the big points in my book you know, obviously when we're talking about gut health, everybody wants to know what to take. Should I take a probiotic or not? What foods should I eat? What are the best foods for the gut? But a big point that I make is that this type of self-care stress management is a non-negotiable when it comes to your gut. And consequently, it's also the top of a downstream domino that will improve your health if you kick it into gear. Amazing. And, uh, you know, I know you mentioned your book here. I've got it with me and I've, I've read this book and it's a, an amazing resource. And what I really like and appreciate about this is that it's different and that it's actually got some recipes in it too. So it's going through and it's not just giving you a list of foods. If you're on YouTube, you can see this. If you're on the podcast, you know, hop over to YouTube, you can see it. But like, there are some beautiful recipes in here that have very specific foods that I'm sure were very carefully curated, but like these look like great recipes. I'm actually going to try some of these out. So maybe yeah, can you talk about how did you 
decide which foods go in these recipes and, and how did you develop that? Worked with a clinical nutritionist, uh, looked at, you know, food lists that have been put out by Monash University, the FODMAP list, all that, but also worked with a Summerbach fermentationist to understand where do ferments fall depending on your gut type, mild, moderate, or severe worked with a clinical nutritionist, figuring out what foods should be in certain categories. What can you tolerate when you're mild that you can't tolerate when you're moderate? Or what can what can you only tolerate if you've got severe gut issues? It took a lot of thinking and a lot of going back and forth to refine these food lists. And then I teamed up with someone who is, I, I consider her my soul sister, it's crazy. We, we met soon after I published my first book, and she lives on the other side of the world. Her name is Lee Holmes. She's a chef and clinical nutritionist, and she's had five best-selling cookbooks in Australia, all related to the gut. And so I wanted to have, a, you know, we came up with a, an idea for foods that would have an international flair. So if you look at the recipes, like there's, there's, there's elements of cuisine from a lot of different parts of the world. There's spices from different parts of the world. I wanted this, this book to be accessible to anyone anywhere and also recipes that were easy to make. And so we teamed up and we came up with a list of recipes and we actually divided them according to categories, severe, moderate, and mild. And interestingly, someone asked me this the other day. They're like, why are there more severe recipes and not as many moderate and less mild? And it's because as you move through categories, and, and typically what I would have a person do is take the GutSmart quiz, find out what your starting point is, then you follow the plan. Now you're also doing the mindset work, the breath work, meditation, all that. So you're addressing all, all aspects of it. And at the end of the 14 days, you retest yourself. And say you started at severe and you go to moderate. Well, now you can eat all of the severe category foods and, and recipes. And now you can add the moderate. So that's why they're more severe is the most limited category. So I wanted to give more recipe options for severe because a moderate and a mild can eat, eat everything that's in the severe category. So it kind of like, as you move down the categories, you actually acquire more and more things that you can incorporate into the diet and, and test out. And, but I wanted to make sure that the person who falls under the severe category doesn't feel like, oh, I can only eat five things. I wanted to show them that there was a lot of variety and then incorporate that. And some of the recipes are adaptable between categories. Like I, I tell people how you can take a moderate and make it a mild recipe. Like if you want to add a little bit more spice to the kimchi or whatever it is, but that's, that's basically how it came together. And really was a, a dream of mine to create this diet protocol based on a quiz, uh, a vision that I had. Uh, God, I first thought about this two years after I published my first book and just thinking about what I was seeing with patients and how people, you can't have a one size fits all when it comes to gut health. And the majority of books out there are one size fits all for gut health. And so I wanted to come in and bring a solution for those people tell me, well, I did this plan and didn't work for me and I didn't feel good. And then 
I'm like, okay, because we got to figure out what your gut type is. And then depending on your gut type, then we know what you can eat because your diet, if you're severe, can't be the same as a moderate and can't be the same as a mild. This is, uh, I, I'm encouraging anybody to get this book. I'm going to make sure I link to this in the show notes. And maybe before we wrap up here, Dr. Pedre, um, I would love to even just, I don't want to, I want to make sure we don't go through all the foods. Cause I know you've got a lot of amazing stuff in this book that people should check out, but maybe do you have a couple of foods that you think are really helpful? Like that you've seen, maybe I know people are, everybody's uniquely different and different foods are going to work for different peoples, but are there some that you see universally that can be beneficial for most people? Yeah. Um, you know, I have so many opinions on this and and even an evolving opinion of what is the best diet for for gut health and also understanding and there's a whole chapter on environmental impacts on gut health to help people understand that it's not just the foods it's how the foods were grown it's the pesticides in the food it's what the animal that you ate has been fed all of this is affecting your internal ecosystem, which then consequently affects how you feel in your body. But part of the research I did for this book, I went to Africa and, and I spent time with the Hadza, the hunter-gatherers, one of the last hunter-gatherers on the planet. And it's like going back in time in a human time capsule because they're not eating all the foods that we eat out West. And yet someone had the, the incredible idea of testing their gut microbiome and looking at their gut bacteria. And that, they have an incredibly diverse gut microbiome with very interesting differences because they're hunter-gatherers. So, and, and it's not unique to them because there's studies where they've looked at other hunter-gatherers or pre-agricultural groups in Africa and they found similarities. And I bring this up because their diet is basically root vegetables, forage berries, wild honey. And when I say honey, it's not like drinking nice honey that's been like pulled out there. They're having honey, honeybees and honeycomb all together. They don't separate it. They'll eat everything. And these are tiny honeybees in Africa and small to medium sized animals and baobab fruit, which is really high in fiber. Um, so ba baobab tree is the one, if you think of the lion king, it's that, that tip, that very quintessential tree from Africa, that's really big trunk and then branches out like this that you see on the lion king that produces the baobab fruit, very high in fiber, very nutritious. So their fiber intake is 40 to 50 grams per day. Whereas the typical American is having 10, 15 grams in a day. And that's below the recommended amount of fiber. Now, there are studies that have looked at what happens when you increase fiber intake or what happens when you increase fermented food intake. And both of these things are going to improve gut health in different ways. Uh, but interestingly, fermented foods in one study that I quote in the book that was done at Stanford University, fermented foods had the greatest impact on microbial diversity, which is, again, the holy grail. And just to circle back to the Hadza, you know, aside from the fact they're this human time capsule, why are they so special? Well, they don't have diabetes. They don't have heart disease. They don't have cancer. They don't have dementia. They don't have obesity. 
So they don't have a lot of the modern diseases that we become accustomed to in Western society. So you have to ask, okay, well, what is different? The diet's different. Microbial diversity is different. They've never been exposed to antibiotics. And they're also being exposed to the natural world, to the wild. And I think that's a really important missing element in microbial diversity for us urbanized population is that people don't get out in nature enough. We need to get exposed to nature. We need to be out in dirt. You know, obviously you don't want to get exposed to dirt that has pesticides in it, but, you know, getting out to parts of nature that haven't been sprayed with pesticides is very important part of uh, diversifying the microbiome along with incorporating things like fermented foods and increasing fiber intake. You're not going to go wrong with increasing fiber intake. They actually did a study that was published after my book came out. It was a four-week study. They had people increase their fiber intake and their fermented foods and their grains, along with eating wholesome meats. And they used that. Um, that was the intervention arm versus a just general dietary guidance, but you know, avoid processed foods, sugars. So basically a control group versus a high fiber, high fermented foods group. And they tested their stress scores before and after. The group that dropped their stress score the most was the group on the intervention with the high fiber, high fermented foods diet, 32% versus 17% drop in stress score. With diet alone, there was no like mental health therapy being done. And out of those that dropped their stress score, so just think like everybody who's out there who's stressed, that you could drop your stress score just by changing your diet, not by doing any mindset stuff. You know, imagine if you do diet and then you add breathwork, meditation, stress management, exercise, all those things. And what they found was that the people who were most compliant with the dietary intervention had the greatest drop in their stress score. So they could map the stress score the more you kept to the diet, the, the greater the drop in the stress score. Now, the reason, just going back to the quiz, it's great to add fiber, it's great to add fermented foods, but if you're in the severe category, you're not gonna be able to do all that just yet. So you've gotta start by knowing what is your gut type. We know what the ideal is, we know what we're striving for, we, want, we know we wanna create that microbial diversity, but we've gotta meet the person where they're at and we can't introduce something like fermented foods, which by the way, in that Stanford study, lowered 19 inflammatory markers by eating more fermented foods. So every day I'm incorporating sauerkraut. Actually last night I made my own homemade sauerkraut that I'm letting ferment for the next couple of days. And, and I incorporate uh, yogurt. If it's not dairy, for me it's coconut yogurt but I'm always rotating in the pickles, the fermented foods, making sure that I'm getting those things into my diet because I know that that's part of the ideal and that it's going to lower inflammation in my body. And that's as we, we circle back to the beginning with bone health, the bones are particularly sensitive to inflammation and anything you can do if you want to keep your bones healthy and strong, you've got to lower your inflammation and one of the things that I teach in my book is you can do it through diet, through the right types of nutrients, but now adding an extra angle to it, it's how do you do it by taking care of your gut and gut microbiome so that it, it improves 
that gut interface lowers leaky gut and by consequence lowers inflammation and immune activation in your body. This has been a fascinating conversation, uh, Dr. Pedre. I just want to thank you so much uh, for sharing this knowledge and all your hard work with the GutSmart Protocol with our audience and our listeners. I want to make sure they they know exactly where to find you. And then I want to make sure we link to those resources in the show notes. So could you tell everybody where they can find you at? Well, they can. Um, I'm always posting on Instagram so they can look me up at, at Dr. Pedre. I put a ton of free content there meant to inspire, inspire, educate, and edutain people to you know, make positive behavior changes in their life that can improve their health. And if they go to gutsmartprotocol.com, they can learn more about me, about the book. Um, actually, on the webpage, they can take the quiz. They can go to the website and take the quiz and find out what their gut smart score is and what their gut type is. And that becomes the, you know, the beginning of their journey to healing their gut and beyond everything that's connected with the gut. Amazing. So I'm going to link to those resources in the show notes. And for everyone listening, you can find all the resources, show notes, everything mentioned here today over at bonecoach.com forward slash Dr. Vincent Pedre, Gutsmart Protocol. We'll see you in the next episode. Hope you found this episode of the Bone Coach Show helpful. You can find all the resources, show notes, everything mentioned over at bonecoach.com. If you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, be sure to share it with someone you love, a friend, family member, even a group of people. And also be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode that can help you improve your bones, your health, and your future. One last reminder, if you haven't done so already, head over to bonecoach.com for more great resources to help you get on the path to stronger bones and an active future. I'm your bone coach, Kevin Ellis. I'll see you in the next episode.